Well, welcome once again to another episode of AP's Profiles in Christian Living. Um, my guest today, the Reverend David Cook, uh, really needs no introduction. Um, he is well known not only throughout Australia but throughout the world. Uh, the former principal of SNBC for 26 years, as well as the minister of Wewell Presbyterian Church, Ashfield Presbyterian Church, and now even in his well quote unquote retirement, is just as active uh, as ever. So welcome, David. It's great to have Thanks, you with Mark. us. Good to be here. Now, David. Everybody, I would think, watching this this morning or today, this evening, um, has uh, heard of you, known you. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you first came to faith in Christ. Uh, my father came to faith in Christ, the first member of our family. Uh, that was in 1962. Uh, he was with a, a fellow businessman, uh, and they were actually driving down Burwood Road. Oh, wow. And uh, this man uh, was in business with my dad selling insurance, and uh, this man owned a, a dress shop in Burwood Road. And he'd been witnessing to my father. He was a Gideon. Right. And uh, this particular day, he said to my dad, Bruce, it's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. And my father, at that point, realised, of course, it was. Now, obviously, Ernie, the other man, had done a lot of extra work yeah. leading up to that. But my dad came home and told us that he'd become a Christian. And he was immediately discipled. And... Um, uh, by another businessman, and then my mother, one week later, my father took her to an evangelistic dinner, and she became a Christian in the next week. It's wonderful truth. How old were you at that time? Well, that's 1962, so I was uh, 15. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And what 15. changes did you see in your parents? Oh, in my, f in my father, I saw incredible changes. Remember, this is 1962. He was told four things that he had to do. One, read his Bible and pray every day, and I noticed he was doing that. Two, had to give up the cigarettes. Wow. <laughs> okay. And my dad had nicotine brown fingers, wow. and I bought his cigarettes in those days, large Ardaths, um, and uh, I never bought him another cigarette. Wow. And he gave up the grog. He, uh, he was a great drinker of Resha's DA, dinner ale, okay. and he never did it again. And, wow. um, and then tithe all your income. So those four things, that was discipleship, 1962. So I saw an incredible change in my father. He didn't become a perfect man, but he was a changed man. And my mother, I think she probably underneath it all was a Christian before she came out for Christ a week after my dad. But she was a keen, lovely Christian lady. So you were 15 at this point? 15. How long before you yourself got Well, my father said, I don't ask much of you. And he, he didn't. He was a good father, and he didn't yeah. ask much of me. He said, um, but I want you to come to church with me every Sunday night. So right. we went back to the church that his grandfather had founded at Gray Memorial Presbyterian Church in Waverley. Mm. And um, so we went back there every Sunday night. I was sitting and listening to the service. It was just dreadfully boring. I can remember being conscious of my swallowing my own saliva. Was that disturbing anybody else? It was just just terribly boring. Uh, but I was playing tennis, competition tennis, and the um, and the the organist at the church was also the youth leader, and he invited me to a house party. Uh, I was 19 years of age. This is four years later. I'd gone to work at the Reserve Bank and I thought, well, if I'm going on a, a Christian house party, I'll stir them up. I'll go and buy myself a pipe and I'll blow pipe smoke over all their Bible oh, studies. Really? And so I went and bought the pipe and I went, the, the, the house party was at Blackheath. Um, and on the Sunday morning, the preacher, Keith McPhail, 
uh, who's now with the Lord, preached on Malachi. I'd never heard of Malachi before. And it was the 9th of July, 1967, at about a quarter to 11 in the morning. And I just heard that Jesus is Lord. He has every right to run your life. I hadn't been doing a much of a job running my own life. And I was given repentance and faith. Wow. And that was uh, 1967. Wow. Yeah. So I came you, down the mountain, went and told my parents. There was much rejoicing. Yeah. They gave me a King James version of the Bible. They wrote in the front of it, and I've still got that. Wow. Yeah. Oh, how special is that? Yeah. Now, you're married to Maxine. Yeah. Um, in some ways, some people would say Maxine is, in some in some circles, even more famous than yourself. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure she is. Um, I can still hear people, I can still hear her words echoing in my mind. Hello, darling. Oh, yeah. How are you? Yeah, of course. Uh, you've got six children. No, five. Oh, we've sorry, five. Four, 49 years married, next yep. year 50. We've got five children yep. and we've got 14 grandchildren and one more on the way. Yeah, fantastic. Um what have been some of the blessings of being married for that long? Oh, well, you get to know someone, don't you, very well. We met in Bible college. Uh, Maxine is a very keen, prayerful Christian, outgoing Christian lady. I think yep. one, of the one of the sadnesses of being at Bible college was that Maxine wasn't the pastor's wife because I think she was an excellent pastor's wife. Yeah. Uh, open home, yeah. prayerful, a commitment to talk to people, yeah. to do evangelism, to scripture, um, you know, all these things. And uh, I think she was just ideal for that. It's setting. funny we should be talking about this because um, I, in God's providence, was the minister at We War Presbyterian long after you. And I said to one of the elders one day, we were driving to Presbytery, which is, you know, in that part of the world, a couple-hour drive mm. to Presbytery and a couple hours back. And we we're talking about former ministers and... We were talking about, wow, you know, there's been some very famous Presbyterian ministers here and we're talking about you and and um, and the impact that you've had through the Ketuba Convention, through SMBC. And I said to him, what do you think was the best thing about David Cook? And after a couple of minutes, or no, a couple of seconds silence, he said, you know, Maxine, she was just such a loving person and you always felt so welcome. I thought, what a great thing to be able to say yeah. about a minister yeah. that he so valued, um, you know, Maxine and her ministry with yeah. the church. And and uh, yeah, it's wonderful. And she, remember, we had two children in Wee War. We went with two. Yeah. One was two. One was six weeks old when yep. we arrived in Wee War. Yep. We had two more there, mm. and um, so she had her hands full in the manse, you yeah. know, looking after kids. And and yet, yeah, she'll always have that sort of impact. I think. Mm. Mm. They talk about your first uh, parish being so formative. Absolutely. Yeah. What was being a minister in Outback, North, well, Northwest New South Wales, how did it form and shape you? Well, I remember when I went to Moore College, my first year at Moore College, we went on college mission and I went to Gunnedah. And yep. I thought, Gunnedah's the end of the earth. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a city boy, born, and, <laughs> born in the eastern suburbs, born in Crown Street Women's Hospital, Surrey Hills. You can't get more Sydney than that. Grew up in Waverley and Coogee yep. uh, in the eastern suburbs. And so I'm not used to the country. And I remember on that mission at Gunnedah, it was way out here. I could barely wait to get back to the city. But We War actually is 137 kilometres on know. from Gunnedah. Gunnedah's the big so smoke. <laughs> when, we, when we were approached by the elders at We War to see whether we would exit there, whether we'd be willing to have our name go forward, I thought, oh, We War. 
And uh, uh, But, you know, I love the place. I still love it. Mm. I only go back now for funerals, really. Yeah. But I love going back there. And I think uh, I love the northwest of the state. And, yeah. um and I love We War because it was so special for us. We had in those days, we had We War as the main church. And in those days, it was a large congregation. And then Wobbegar was the branch church. And yeah. that's 50 kilometres out through the Pilliga Scrub. Yeah. And I loved going out there. We War was 75% Americans. Uh, Wobbegar was all just old Aussie farmers who were scratching away in the sandy soil there. And it was wonderful to be in, with the Wobbegar congregation as well. I loved it. Mm. How do you think ministering in a country parish shaped you as a preacher? Oh, well, it's very different because they're Americans and uh, the previous minister was the first minister and he was an excellent preacher. He was Mm. an excellent... An elder told me in my second week that he was the most brilliant topical preacher he had ever heard. His name was Murray Ramage and he was an excellent man and an excellent preacher. And I came straight out of Moore College ready to deliver 40-minute lectures, <laughs> theological lectures, and they weren't about to put up with that. I tell you, they, 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 they were very kind, but but um, I think I they had wanted to... wanted it to be practical? I, it was very, very hard. Right. And uh, I, I really, I think I was drowning. I didn't, because I I was giving lectures. I was, uh, and, the, and I, I had to really, it was... Uh, important for me, I think, to preach in such a way that was communicating the word of God to them. They were keen to hear the word of God, mm. but not in a lecturish knowledge dump sort of way. Mm. Uh, and so I think my first parish uh, did enormous things for me because the, one of the local ministers there, the father of the presbytery, the oldest man in the presbytery, was a, a man called Donald Campbell, yep. who was the minister at Inverell. He was a great expositor, but he was an engaging preacher. And I would always sit next to him at Presbytery and try and pick his mind so much uh, that could help me as I was just starting out in preaching. And that's why I think as a preacher, I I still need help. Mm. You know, we never graduate beyond needing help as a preacher, but especially in those early years of parish ministry, I Mm. do need help. See, now Um, that's interesting. And I want to come to what you're doing at the moment because you've set up a special mm. um, help ministry for Mm. preaching. Mm. But just before we get to that... Mm. If if you were the Donald Campbell today mm. and you were sitting with a young minister, his first appointment, yeah. and you were trying to pick his brains about what things, is there one big thing I need to really yeah. focus on with preaching? <laughs> well, I can tell you exactly what he'd say because he said it to me. Mm. Uh, he said, don't try and be funny. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what he said. Because I remember I preached at a presbytery event in which I told a joke and uh, it, was a, it was a lousy joke. But And I would never do that now. And he said to me, don't try and be funny. Mm. The gospel is serious. Now, he's not, he wasn't against humour, but telling a joke is actually manipulative. So he said, don't try and be funny. Um, and he said, get to the text and answer the question of the text. Mm. And as I've gone on in life, I realised, you know, that, that was actually a turning point for me getting to the text and trying to engage with the question which the text was answering. Yeah. And that's why um, I've written the latest column I've written in our website uh, is talking about the question, eptrust.org.au. Okay. If you go there, it's, it's, it seems to me that's what Donald Campbell was talking about. That's certainly what he said to me, and that's what I want to pass on to preachers today. Yeah. So you, you had... Uh, you know, really a wealth of pastoral experience yourself in parish uh, as a minister. 
26 years as the principal of SMBC mm. here in Sydney. Um, I think the oldest um, non-denominational pres- um, Bible college in Australia. Yeah, interdenominational. Interdenominational. Sorry, interdenominational. Um, but tell us, what are you doing now? Oh, well, we left SMBC at the end of 2011. Yeah. Uh, and we, Maxine and I set up a, a trust called the Expository Preaching Trust. Yeah. And uh, we run um, preaching clubs. Mm. Uh, the clubs are called Lather and Shave. You know, so we hear each other preach, we lather each other. That is, what did we appreciate about the sermon? We shave what can be improved about the sermon. Mm. We also run uh, preaching workshops where I have an associate come with me and we have eight preachers for three days and three intense days together. And uh, they all get to preach one sermon that they've already prepared and they prepare a sermon which they preach on the So is part of the rationale here that as a preacher... You're normally just preaching and you're not sitting under the word yourself yeah. and you're not yeah. necessarily, unless your wife is <laughs> very yeah. brave, yeah. you know, yeah. and very tenacious, giving, she's probably the only one really giving you honest feedback, Yeah, right? Yeah. This is to really um, up the accountability? Yeah, well, it's to encourage you to be better as a communicator. So in our preaching clubs, in each of we've got a preaching club at Abbotsford and one at Cronulla, and in each of those... We've got, uh, I don't like the term layman, but we've got lay people come yeah. and they are a part of the club. Okay. Uh, so yesterday we met at Abbotsford and we have a lady uh, who who is part of our church who's a very insightful listener yeah, yeah, to sermons yeah. and we have a man, yeah. uh, and one of the elders. And then when I go down to Cronulla next Friday, I take one of the members of our congregation who's in my category, he's an older man, uh, he's in his mid-60s uh, and he just loves to come and he always has something to say about the sermon and the way it's communicated. Mm-hmm. So we're there to help each other be better preachers, yeah. faithful to the text and more engaging with the congregation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you've been a Christian a long time. Yeah. What do you think are some of the things that have really um, kept you persevering, um, kept you growing um, in in your faith, in your walk with the Lord, as well as your service? Uh, well, a, a good wife who keeps you up to the mark, yeah. praying, reading the scriptures, yeah, that's encouraging to be living with someone who's talking to you about those sorts of things. Um, and also along the way, people who would check that I was doing that as well. In We War, we had uh, an excellent elder and his wife. You know them very well. Uh, the elder has gone to be with Christ now, but they're wonderful, godly people who encouraged me. And there was another elder there who became a friend, one of my best friends for life, who was always encouraging me on in my walk for, with Christ. And so good friends and people at our church, we go to a really good church. It's uh, an excellent church where there, I think we go to a, in our church there are three congregations we go to the young families congregation even though we don't fit that demographic but it's great that there i meet with a number of men and we it's talk interesting about you talk about Christian that walk. about the the impact the positive impact and encouragement that quote-unquote lay people um, bring to people in ministry hmm. in fact there's an old saying that you can go for three months on one word of encouragement um, <laughs> as a minister um I, there was this lady I know you know in Wee War. She'd kill me for saying this. Um, you know, this old godly lady, um, Heather May, who would often say to me after a sermon, you know, she would had that uncanny 
gift to be able to put her finger on exactly the right yeah. issue. Yeah. They're a wonderful blessing, Maybe aren't she's they? Old. She'd be younger than you. What are you talking about? <laughs> she's not about? younger than me, okay? No well, way she's she, she younger she than she me. She certainly looks younger than you. <laughs> <laughs> she does, yeah. She, that's true. Anyway, yeah, no. In We Were, they were fine, grand people. Yeah. Uh, I loved them. And, uh, they, and, and actually, you know, they followed us. Uh, in their interest so that uh, many of the cotton farmers, all of whom are in glory now, yeah. um, with just one exception, um, they, they, they supported SMBC. They did, yeah. 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 And it was wonderful, the support they gave to us. I, I mean, we War itself, I know that's the common connection. We have a lot of people that listening to this today would be aware of War Presbyterian. It's, it's funny, isn't it? Because it's a small town, but it's had a big impact in the yeah, providence absolutely. of God. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's a book in it at some point. Yeah. Um, I was preaching once talking about the um, the generosity of one particular man. Um, yeah. I think a man, the man, one of the men that you mentioned is now in glory, Harold Freer. Yeah. Who was very generous, not just to SNBC, but to people yeah. around the and world. And his wife, yeah, hospitality. Yeah. I remember they, they'd open their, their home at Christmas and mm. all the church would go one evening before Christmas and they'd turn their home into the Bethlehem stable. Yeah. And Harold Freer would be the innkeeper and we'd be we'd have a card, we were cattle, sheep or whatever, we'd be knocking on the door, no room, he'd come out, no room in the inn and finally we'd all get in and Harold would give a word and we'd sing carols. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful family. And he and his wife, Clara, were just godly, wonderful people. Yeah. 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 It was a privilege. It was a privilege to be in a place like that. Um, yeah. Now... Moving forward to the Australian situation today, I want to sort of talk to you about, you know, look, you know, you've been in ministry a long time, you've followed the Lord a long time, you've visited lots of churches, you were formerly the moderator general of the Presbyterian Church. Give us your assessment. What do you think is the state of preaching generally that you've observed in the Presbyterian Church of Australia? Well, I, I don't I don't know a great deal about that because we just go to one church on a Sunday yep. and I, I like to just go to that church and uh, I'm well, we're well fed at that church. Uh, I, a couple of years ago, however, there's a, a preacher's conference on at the Presbyterian College in Victoria yep. where I lecture mm-hmm. in preaching. Yep. And in March we have three-day preacher's conference, mm. which is a great time. And in preparing for the one last year, yep. um, I knew that I had two sessions and so we were at that time uh, supplying the church, St Andrew's Kuala Lumpur, the Presbyterian Church in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. So I had some time. So I went online and listened to 40 sermons of the pres- of Presbyterian ministers in Victoria and then just did an audit of what I heard. What do you think? Oh, well, well, wonderfully, I remember when I was converted in 1967, the man said to me, now if you're ever away from church in the country on a weekend, always go to a Baptist church because you'll always hear the gospel at a Baptist church. Now you couldn't have said that in the 1960s about a Presbyterian church, but I think you could say it today. Yeah. And I found that every sermon I heard was a gospel-centred, Bible-centred sermon. And the uh, preacher was making every effort to seek to tell us about what the text said, which is what you're there to do. Mm. And also, I think they were all making an effort to be engaging as well. So Mm. I was greatly encouraged by that. And it was wonderful to have older men in the congregation who'd established that college to say, you know, uh, over since the 1960s, the church was so corrupted by legal, by liberalism. 
in those days, and yeah. yet really we've turned a corner. Mm. However, now where are we today? Um, I think I think we need to keep reminding ourselves that God is. I'm I'm in another organisation which is debating what it means to be a reformed Christian. Okay. And a reformed Christian, and the, all the solas are talked about. But you know, at the heart of all those solas is the fact that we believe that the Bible is God's book. We believe that the Bible is inspired by God. It is breathed out by God. Therefore, everything the Bible says about the purposes of God, the character of God, the plan of God, the the, uh, the cross of Christ being focal is where we stand as Reformed Christians, of course, because we stand with our view of the Bible. Now, as a preacher, therefore... There will never be a time that I am not expounding the Bible. I'm not explaining the Bible. Mm. And I see that as my role. So that in Wee War, I remember being invited to speak at the Rotary Club. Yeah. Now, what part of the Bible do you want me to talk about? Because mm. I'm not coming to talk about anything else. Yeah. And, um, and I, therefore, wherever I'm going, if I'm ever asked to speak outside the church, even at a secular occasion, I always say, well, you know, you know I'm a Bible speaker. I don't speak about anything else. And yeah. I don't. Yep. And I believe that's my calling. That's the calling of a preacher. I'll work hard at engaging the, the audience, but I'll always get back to some particular section of the scripture. I think we need, R.C. Sproul said, and it's my uh, screensaver on my iPad, that fewer and fewer people today believe that God has invested his spirit in his word and we are losing confidence in the word to do its work. Therefore, we think we've got to be preaching on more contemporary subjects, doing topical series, whereas I think um, it is the word as it is preached, the people of God are fed, and the people who aren't of God are welcomed and and changed. They're converted through the preaching of the word. So here I am. I was converted through the preaching of a bloke I'd never heard of, Malachi, and yet I was I was converted through that. And so I always want to be working through a passage of the Bible. And my Christian growth really took off when I went to work in the city. And John Chapman and John Reed, who was a bishop, they were alternating on books of the Bible at St Andrew's house. So Chapo might do six weeks on Philippians and John Reed would come and do six weeks on Hosea and yeah. they just work through expository preaching. And up to that point, I had never actually heard the Bible expounded. Wow. You know, it, it just made, made a tremendous change to me. And so I want to encourage preachers to get into the text, to tell me what the text is. Why do you think that we spend all our t a lot of our time in colleges teaching you Greek and Hebrew just because we love to inflict pain? No, we want you to be good preachers. Yeah. And the way you actually observe a text is by getting into the Greek and Hebrew of the text. Mm. And that'll be evident. You won't be quoting that in your sermon, but that'll be evident yeah. in the way you're preaching. Yeah. And I think also I'd want to encourage people to see here we're surrounded by Bible commentaries. They are poisonous. They are poisonous. Yes, if I you, heard you say if, that. If you, if, you, if you refer to them too early yeah. in the preparation process, yeah. they're a great aid, of course. How yeah. foolish it would be to ignore them. Yeah. But do your work in the text yeah. because we believe the Spirit of God has inspired the text and therefore the Spirit of God is helping us understand the I remember the, the first time uh, I was studying at SNBC doing a grad course and I heard you say that. Um, Commentaries are poison if you go to them too soon. Too, too soon. And yeah. I actually hear your words in my head every yeah, week yeah. as I, I'm so tempted to like read the passage. Oh, I think yeah. I know where it's going. 
And I'm always sort of drawn to go to the commentaries and not let the Spirit of God speak to me first. And we make people like F.F. Bruce and Don Carson popes, you know, that we put them between us and the Bible. So we read the Bible through them and get the interpretation from them. Now, I go to the Word um, and then. In the process, you will go eventually to them yeah. and they'll add something or they may even correct you. Yeah. But you'll you'll look at them, but not too early in the, the process. So when I was at Moore College, yeah. one of the great things, this was pre-union, and we were asked whether we wanted to stay Presbyter- continuing Presbyterian or go to the Uniting Church. Mm. And in those days, I remember three of us, uh, um, we were all in the same year, Paul Cooper, David Chai and me, and they appointed... Graham Miller, to come and teach us Presbyterian polity every second Thursday afternoon in the chapel of St Andrews College at Sydney University. And Graham Miller didn't teach us polity at all. He taught us how to read the Bible. He taught us the the inductive Bible study method. What are the five things the passage teaches? Summary in point form with verse reference. What is the main thought of the passage? And he was teaching us to be preachers. That's the basis of my preparation. I summarise my passage. I then get to the subject, compliment, big idea, then go to the big question. Mm-hmm. And that's what the, it's at the heart of preparation. I, 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 I labour over the text, mm-hmm. see what is there for people, and then I work on how it will apply. Okay. So that's brilliant. I mean, um, classic cookie, right? Talking about preaching. If I can get you to step back and look at the church scene now, yeah. the Anglicans and even the Presbyterians are, are noticing that there's... Um, there's not as many people that have started in ministry persevering in ministry. Uh, why do you think that is? Uh, well, I, d- I hadn't noticed that. I'm not okay. so... In- uh, yeah, I mean, I just... I'm, a- I'm out of it. I mean, uh, mm. I-, I move in the circles I move in. and um, But I hadn't noticed that. Maybe it, maybe it, was, it is because um, they were encouraged wrongly back right at the beginning, to go into ministry. I don't think everybody ought to go into ministry. Some people need to stay. They can be more. They can be productive uh, given the, the gifts they have, being an accountant or a doctor or a plumber or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe they've come to the conclusion that they're not really cut out for ministry. Mm-hmm. I think a minister needs to be a people sort of person, and if you're not a people sort of person, uh, you may not... You, probably ought to go into ministry so that they might be just coming to the conclusion that you know I should be out of it I think some people will find it hard it's not easy knowing that you can't keep everybody happy and you never will keep everybody happy yeah and so some people uh, are not, don't know how to cope with that yeah. I think uh, security is an issue there and just the pressures of life mm. I mean we live in stressful days mm. Okay, so one final question. If there's one thing that you could say to the church out there listening, both, you know, if I can put it this way, forgive me, clergy and laity, uh, what's the one big thing we're needing right now? Uh, I think we need to, I was talking about this yesterday, I have numbers of people come to me to talk to me about their preaching. Uh, We talk about mentoring. Do we come with the same question as the disciples came to the Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. Do we pray? Are we praying about these things? So I'm on a a school council where we're talking about evangelism of the boys and and Maxine said to me the other day, you know, our strategy has got to be first to pray. Mm -hmm. Are we praying? 
because God is sovereign. He converts people. I don't. You don't. He converts people. He makes his word effectual in the lives of people. Mm. And we need to be praying that he does that. And I think we need to be a prayerful people. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like the Lord Jesus says, you know, the harvest is plentiful. Look around. Are not the fields white unto harvest? Mm. Pray to the Lord of the harvest Mm. that he would raise up workers. I I, I wonder if in all this discussion about recruiting people to ministry, we've lost the first point. Yeah, and and we we get involved in methods and techniques and everything, but do we pray? And even when it comes to preaching, you know, I talk about preparation and everything, but am I praying about this word? On that, just personally, what does that look like for you as a preacher? What... Just explain to us personally, how does prayer shape and, and involve you in your preparation to preach? Well, we, we have times where Maxine and I pray at night um, and uh, we have a roster of praying around the world and for our family and that sort of thing. But in the morning, we each have our separate prayer times. And uh, for me, as I come to start preparing, I will pray for the day. So I, I, I tend to work best with a regular pattern and it'll be early in the morning that I'm praying. I get out of bed early. I always have since I was a new paper boy <laughs> back in the uh, How in the early 60s. is this? Five o'clock, I like to be up. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it's good. It's good to be up at five. Yeah. And uh, it's the best time of day because there's no one around and it's and quiet. And how often do you... Your sp- mind's active. Uh, it's, oh, look, I yeah. agree. It's great. Um, do you have a set amount of time that you pray at that time? Uh, yeah. So the first hour from five to six, I'm generally free and I can pray and do my reading and thinking for the day. And uh, then, but when I come to actually back at 9.30, say, to start preparing, if I'm preparing something, I'm doing that, God, God, open my eyes that I can see the wonderful things in your word. Continue to guide me. Uh, Very often we overlook the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit because of Jesus. And he's there and he is our comforter and he's the one who's going to help us. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a a great truth. Um, I keep thinking these days about the old Presbyterian hymn book, you know, Mm. Um, and in the old Presbyterian hymn book, number 699 was a hymn that had, this is one of its verses, I sought for rest and happiness, I yearned for them, that is rest and happiness, not thee, but while I passed my saviour by in my search for rest and happiness, his love laid hold on me. Now none but Christ can satisfy another other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. So if I'm looking for wisdom, I'm looking for insight, I'm actually only going to find those through Jesus. I mean, you've probably had people come along, oh, if only I had a family like yours. And you say, no, no what you need is Jesus because he's the source of all things. So I think prayerfulness and having a conscious connection with the Lord Jesus through his spirit I think they're the, the, the very basic things, mm. but uh, that's what I'd Fantastic. say. That's Great. what we're always encouraging people. Yeah. So if I could just say our website's just been launched. Yep. Great. It's called EP, eptrust.org.au. Mm-hmm. Okay, eptrust.org.au. Yeah, and have a look. And I, I just write columns for preachers basically there. Fantastic. Thanks, David. Thanks so much, David. That's eptrust.org.au. I hope you've enjoyed this segment of AP's Profiles in Christian Living. Living. It's been great to have you with us, David. Thank you. Hopefully we'll have you again sometime in the future and we talk about it some more. Thanks very much. Thanks very much.